You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. I am your host, Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 121. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Danny Garner, who is a Pushcart-nominated author who has enjoyed careers as an actor, director, and screenwriter. His latest book is A Spoon Coon, which is the second book in the Tales of Elliot Caprice series, which features disgraced Chicago police officer Elliot Caprice, who is caught between two worlds, black and white, black and Jewish organized crime during the 1950s Chicago. The book is available now. Danny's also the founder of Bronzeville Books, an independent publishing company focused on elevating voices and stories that have long been underrepresented and need to be told. I had a great time talking to Danny about crime fiction and thrillers that are gritty and pulpy and publishing the the work of uh, black creatives and people from underrepresented groups who specialize in mystery, crime, suspense, as well as romance and adventure. So stay tuned for that interview coming right up. If you want to learn how to write thrillers from best-selling thriller icons like Dan Brown, David Baldacci, and James Patterson, uh, go to thrillingreads.com forward slash writing. I found all three classes from these uh, master thriller and mystery writers to be uh, not only motivating, but they offered some very actionable insights. For example, the James Patterson class uh, offers a PDF of his outline for his best-selling novel, Honeymoon, which can be downloaded. Uh, so I bought the uh, ebook version of that book, and I read it on my computer with the outline on a split screen. So I had the uh, outline and the book side-by-side. Side. I found that uh, to be so helpful to me, uh, figuring out my outline outline process for my own writing. Anyway, go check out uh, thrillingreads.com forward slash writing. Not only will you learn from the best, but you'll help support this podcast by signing up to Masterclass using that link. Okay, here's my interview with Danny Garner. Hey, everybody. This is Alan Peterson with Meet the Thriller Author. And on this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with uh, Danny Garner, who has enjoyed careers as an actor, director, and screenwriter. His latest book is A Spoon Coon, which is the second book in the Tales of Elliot Caprice, uh, featuring a disgraced Chicago police officer, Elliot Caprice. We'll get into that and a whole bunch more with uh, Danny. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. Excited to talk to you uh, about your work. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, originally from the great city of Chicago, and uh I come of age sometime in the 70s. I'm a product of the Chicago public school system that put me in arts classes all the time. So, you know, I have one of those weird bios when you don't don't know what to write about yourself. (laughs) Danny's been writing from a very young age. Like, yeah, actually I have been. Because, like, I come from a family of uh, media people. My, uh, my, My father and my grandfather and my uncle were all decorated Chicago firefighters. And my grandfather, you know, sometime around the Great Migration in the 40s, uh, became a firefighter captain, which was a rare thing for African-American in the city at the time, I guess. And, um, you know, it afforded him, you know, a certain position in life. So he was able to find uh, a lot of a lot of opportunities in the growing black middle class in Chicago. And he did so with media distribution because you know, it was very difficult when you were an uh, African-American-owned newspaper or an African-American-owned magazine to get the same kind of, you know, distribution, transport, and logistics that, say, you know, the Sun-Times or the Tribune, well, what, the Herald or Daily Herald or the, or the Tribune would have had. So my grandfather filled in the gaps between when the Pullman porters stopped delivering black newspapers on the, on the rail and uh, we went, you know, national and then, you know, 
life and society takes over and they reboot the black economy. So somewhere in between one and one, my grandfather was running newspapers all around town. And I guess, you know, I've been surrounded by words and surrounded by newspapers and, you know, surrounded by books and my, you know, I'm a printer's row kid. So, you know, I've always been into, I've always been a bibliophile. I've always been a Chicago public library mole. Like if you were looking for me, you just found me at the library, man. There was always some girls at the library, always some computers, always some books that I shouldn't be reading. You know, everybody's trying to sneak into an R-rated movie. Nobody checks the adult book section <laughs> at the library, right? So I, uh, and then, you know, my influences are pretty strong, man. I, I, uh, I'm a, I'm a eighties kid, like most people, right? Mm-hmm. So I was around when MTV broadcasted for the first time. I remember when David Hasselhoff was the coolest dude on TV, <laughs> right? I remember when uh, Star Wars really didn't get interesting to me until Billy D. Williams showed up and, and, and Empire Strikes Back, right? So I'm a different kind of Black American, you know. I'm a I'm a proud one. I'm a I'm a product of the civil rights movement and a first grandchild of the Great Migration. So to me. All of America was black and beautiful all the time because, you know, I'm a little guy and they're only bringing me around black and beautiful stuff. So my perspective is just, you know, everything coexists in monogamy. And, you know, I can have my street gang friends and my Dungeons and Dragons friends, <laughs> and, you know, I that that lives and mixes within me. man. I mean, you know, I write about mixed up stuff, all right, like mixed people and mixed places and. You know, I just, I'm into that lately, just how it all mixes together. That's a dope question, man. Thanks for mm-hmm. asking me that. I, I wasn't prepared, and I just kind of, like, let you in. That was it. <laughs> Thank you. That was fun. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's for, for some, so fascinating about your work, too, because you do, like, you, you say you write about, the, about the, the, the two worlds of your characters, about Elliot Caprice. So it's very much, mm-hmm. a, a, seems like a lot of, of, of your experiences are in your, in your work, in Elliot Caprice, even though that, that's set in the 50s, right? Yeah, yeah. It's set in 19, it's set in the period of time where you got this 1948, post-war, and Elliot Caprice, and I haven't gotten to this yet, but, you know, the series just keeps calling me to do these cool little twists and turns. Um, Elliot stuck around after World War II. He fought in Patton's uh, 781st, and he was in the tank command in Germany. And uh, while it's often disputed by other historians who are interested in glorifying black life and splendor, it is acknowledged by most black folks that we had a hand in liberating concentration camps. So uh, that's when I pulled Elliot in, into his frame of reference that we are all always treading a thin line between the ultimate mix of, you know, good and evil, love and apathy, right? And so I get off on the blends. I get off on on how disparate halves somehow pull together into striations of of and 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 and, and there's an additional level of granularity and personal human experience. And if you dig down deep, you find we're all mixed up anyway. So, you know, perhaps we should have a little less more of the root and I'll share a little bit more of the fruit. And so. You know, around 1950 was when black folks started really representing a robust middle class that had 
rights and autonomy that although you know there has been some economic sedition that everyone started to admit to in the world now against black americans it was still powerful enough to put obama on his back and help him become president of the united states i'm writing about the roots of the people who lifted a guy like obama up on his back except those roots involve a little organized crime those roots involve some shootouts some car chases those shootouts involve what we affectionately call at the crib Chicago shit. So it makes something fun and lasting. In the 50s, man, it was bare knuckle. You know, black folks had the black underworld and we held sway in Bronzeville and we held sway on the South Side. You had like the Jewish folks that were stacked up deep in my old neighborhood, Washington Heights and Skokie. Right. And then you had Sam Giancana and Johnny Torrio and those guys on the deep west side and Melrose Park. But they had been, you know, factions in Chicago. Uh, 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 organized crown was always based on coalitions of who was getting screwed by their neighbors. Morris, right. So whereas, you know, you had all Sicilian gangs and all Irish gangs and all Jewish gangs in the shot, you had this ward and this district teamed up against Capone to hold them back. So, you know, now they're the, you know, the purple hat gang or something. <laughs> and so you find these mixtures and you find these, these weird, weird things that happened in the fifties where there weren't many rules about how we would share post-war prosperity. And man, once the money started mixing, we started mixing. And that's how I wound up genetically half white, even though <laughs> my dad's birth certificate says colored and my grandfather's must have said slave. So I don't get it, right? <laughs> we all been loving each other already. We all been spending money with each other already. We all been committing crimes against each other already. And that stuff happened in Chicago in the 50s. So I put Elliot there. That's my granddad's era. My dad was born and raised in that era. My mom was. Chicago, the, the, the city that made me, happened in that era. And as I'm here in Hollywood thinking nobody loves my Black Chicago stories, Black Chicago's putting the Black Chicagoan on your back and making him president. And I mean, I had a little hope and change and I started writing. And then my novels caught on. So I think if I give you a little bit of Black Chicago in the 50s, maybe y'all enjoy that prosperity that I'm enjoying that our former presidents showed us that is available to us all as Americans. And then, like I said, man, Chicago kind of sexy right now. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just living in a good spot. Yeah, Cook, Cook County is so infamous for, for everything, for the, the politics and the <laughs> crime. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think as an authentic Chicagoan and somebody that's, uh, you know, that has family roots in, in the changing political times of the city, I think I found a cool little thread to tell stories that while they are black centered and certainly the focus is pulled on a black American existence. If you look, man, everybody's in there. Black Chicago social values in the 50s made more room for people unlike black Chicagoans than America in the 50s did overall. And I, I kind of smeared that all over the pages. I think, man, a little extra 50s in our lives, a little more remembering how 50 years ago, we kind of had this all figured out, even if the alliances were strained and tenuous, we, we had them. Uh, I, think, I think in this new world that's coming, once this new election hits, 
And I think we could pull those lessons forward, man. That's a potent era. That's yeah, a, the 50s is something, man. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you because I was watching, uh, I don't know if you've, if you've watched the, the, the TV show Fargo. And oh, I, was, yeah. I was watching it and it's set in the 50s, um, Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Kansas, Missouri. Yeah. And it features the, the same thing, like the, the black and the Italian Irish gangs. I'm like, this is Danny Garner's. What are yeah. you, what, have you seen it? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I have. Listen, man, I'm telling you right now, I seem to be talking. Like, I, I just, I, okay, so I have a writing mentor. He's uh, uh, he's getting his PhD soon from Harvard. Yay, Mike. Uh, Michael Sasha King. He's uh, a teacher over there and, uh, and PhD finishing up. He's a candidate. And Michael just, you know, he was talking to me about how works live in conversation with each other and that we are all a product of our influences. For example, you know, like my, my the cover for Ace Boone Coon, I totally ripped off Chester Himes's If He Hollows, Let Him Go. Same colors, same style of lettering, but I put extras in the background to show that Chester was here and Danny knew it, right? And so I'm currently, I believe, writing in the same interest level in Black folks, in America, in the Midwest, that everyone else is enjoying right now. Like, it ain't just Fargo, which is dope. And, you know, I know Chris, and he's an amazing man and has always been down for, like, his crew and always filled his comedy crew with Black Chicagoans. Go, Chris Rock. Always love you, baby. And then, uh, you know, Love Crowd Country is showing you what Chicago in the 50s looks like. So if you need a visual reference for Ace Boone Coon and you enjoy that show, you're cool. New City Magazine said, I evoke uh, Perry, uh, Perry Mason on yeah. HBO. Exactly. And it gives you an idea of what the migration and, you know, how Black people wound, wound up Black professionals wound up insinuated within greater white society and unharmed and were left to prosper because we were experts and that we were powerful in our own right. So, you know, you got uh, Perry's Man Friday that's coming from the, the police department now. How's this black guy being able to be this leg man for this white guy, the schlub? Well, there was a whole lot of dope white guys and schlubs teaming up in the 50s to survive in the big city. That's how we got so many mixed race babies running around. So... I'm in conversation, man. I'm not late for the party this time. I mean, I might just be able to scrub up, put on a nice suit and sit down with folks and say, hey, you know, well, this is what Chicago was like. And then, you know, you got Kansas City and you got L.A. And, you know, now we're talking. So I'm, I'm just hoping that, like, I just caught on to the same spirit that everybody else has. Because I did that once before. And that's when I got on, like, Def Comedy Jam and stuff. So. <laughs> You know, maybe I got another shot at getting in the conversation because I, you know, I got some thoughts about how black humanity might inform us all. And um, and I know Chicago, man, is, you know, she, I love her. I love her, man. And she's like, just the blues. I can't quit you, baby. Sometimes I got to put you down for a while. But I love that city, man. And and it means it's the heart of black America, the, the, the south side of Chicago. Uh, so much has happened on those streets that ties the narrative to what may have happened in Black Los Angeles, Black Chicago, Black Baltimore, Black DC, Black Kansas City, that if we just kind of like take advantage of the interest right now and everybody writes something about it, I think we could stitch together like what fiction could look like for a, 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 a racism-free generation, you know what I mean? Like I think it could happen because 
we're all talking now. We're all making stuff now. Like the last time blackness converged this much, it was the seventies, man. So if, mm-hmm. so if we're going to ride a, like a robust post radicalized political period with like the crazy art, then what are we doing now? Right? Like you got, you know, with, 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 uh, with Fargo and me and Lovecraft country and then uh, Perry Mason, like, so check it out. Right. Then that's just like Motown making records at mm-hmm. the same time. Stax Records is making records, you know? And then Sal Soul about to start pressing records. And then you're about to have disco in a minute because it comes from up-tempo R&B. Like, we got, the, we got the happenings of like a new cultural movement, man. And, you know, new artists come alive all the time in new cultural movements. And new cultural movements always follow uh, strife, either if it's biological or racial. And so, like, all right, so in 1818, we had a pandemic. In 1918, we had a pandemic. In 1919, we had the Red Summer Riots. And no black person was safe in any major city in America Mm -hmm. for a whole year, for a whole summer, right? But then after that, 1921 produces the biggest explosion of black folks marching toward the middle class. Now, I would like to avoid a 2020 that will remind us of the Red Summer in 1919. I would never want to see that, but we're more sophisticated than that, and this disease ain't going to let us leave the house, so there's no riots if everybody's (laughs) shut in. But what we may have is an opportunity to take our aggressions out on these election cycles and leave it at that, and then respond to a new cultural zeitgeist that wants to show you, Black folks might have figured this out a few times, and those solutions are available to all Americans. So, and then I'll probably sell a few more books and be happy and be done. Yeah, I really like how you, in your, I was reading, a, when I was doing my research on you, I was reading the, your, an article about you on, on the Chicago Sun-Times, and it said that you said that, um, that you feel like crime fiction um, is, is something that can ease readers into understanding complex issues like what we're seeing now with all the unrest in this country. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. I think that's really so accurate. Uh, what are some books that you think that the people should be checking out? Of course, yours, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, of, of course mine. But then at the same time, I want people to start looking at the body of work of certain authors. The first thing I would like people to do is go out and read Chester Himes. Just read him. And don't perhaps linger on the Codnid and Gravedigger Harlem Mystery series grab the end of a primitive see all of that black rage that he writes inside of himself about things that we're dealing with today see how people of two different races can be squeezed together by the desperation of each of them not wanting to be so black and so white for the worlds around them but just want to be who they are for another person but like a drunken drug addled tragically ending weekend Get that, man. Get that book. Read it. But then at the same time, take yourself out in the street and go read Sean Cosby's new joint, uh, Blacktop Wasteland, right? The reason why all these Black folks in crime fiction are surrounding a young man like Sean is because they want to protect him from the forces that would neglect his book and career. You know, he's Mm -hmm. out here redefining what genre is supposed to mean for young Black boys. When you read Sean Cosby's work, you read a kid that looked out his window and thought, why should white guys have all the fun? So go out and get, you know, S.A. Cosby's Blacktop Wasteland. He's a dope dude. He's out there slinging it. 
I don't get involved in that. I'm an independent dude. I don't do studios, right? I don't do I don't do package deals. I don't do, you know, let us all show you everything. Them cats are cut out for being in the room where it happens. I'm just going to push my apple cart. But you got to reach over there to that major publishing house, published book, and get that young man's book because he's got perspective. And better artists than all of us will follow him 20 years from now because they read him. And the black community in America needs a voice like that. So folks got to hop on that kid. But don't forget about these Bronzeville books because I ain't selling flat iron. So <laughs> buy my book. But get that kid's book too. And then everybody should be reading Ibram X. Kendi. Just read it. It's the medicine. Just take it. Just take it. Just like go get a flu shot. Go pick up that book. I mean, what, I just how to be an anti-racist, how not to be a racist, stop being racist. I can't even remember the title because it sits on top of the toilet because I read it twice a day. And um, most importantly, leave some room on your front list for my dear friend and mentor, Les Edgerton, because I'm very pleased and proud to publish this man because he has written something that is exactly at the intersection from the other side of the country that I was talking about. His short novel, Hard Times, we have put so much time and energy in this thing. And we have put so much love and care behind the way we're going to roll it out. Folks are going to see with my book and Les's book out at the same time, two stepping into Black History Month, that a Black guy and a white guy from different eras and different struggles can still share the same conversation. I'm telling you, they go together like peanut butter and jelly, these two books. I'm going to package them different. I'm going to get them out the bookstores different. Les Edgerton is a madman. He's a lion still in his 80s. He's shaming us all. I told him to spread the word about his book, man. And I got 300 emails from all over the globe. I'm not lying. I'm like, Uncle Les, I thought you said you was retiring, bro. He's like, no. Nah. It's just a beautiful story, man. It's, uh, it's out for review right now. I've got arcs for anybody who wants one. Just like, you know, hit me up for one, man. We'll send you one out. I really love him. Uh, he put his arm around me at the beginning of my career when I was lost. I was in between book deals because my previous publisher for the first Elliot Caprice book ran aground at the last minute. Like, I went to a doggone conference with an arm full of books that wasn't going to be on sale. Like, oh, I'm dead. Right. And man, that, that brother put his arm around me, man. Like, I wasn't black and he wasn't white. And all of a sudden, I had a career. And so, he gave me the first blurb of my career that taught everyone to take me seriously. And I made certain he got the first book deal in here before I even signed mine. So I wouldn't do all that if that book wasn't flat out flipping amazing. And it's exactly what I want black people to read. Right. Cause as a publisher, sometimes I got to think about them 44 million black folks who read books and people just don't write any for them. Right. So I got to think about that. And I'm telling you this old white dude going to be on a lot of black folks' shelves because he is great. It's like Cormac McCarthy at the cookout, this dude. You dig? Like, uh. it's just great. So make room for less. Go get that Sean Cosby blacktop wasteland. Support black authors wherever you can because, you know, somebody has to. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Ibram X. Kendi is the medicine. And just read something that is written by somebody who ain't like you at all. Mm -hmm. Just pick something by somebody who doesn't look like you, sound like you, think like you, live like you, or come from where you come from. Just do it. 
Even if you just go get a discount book, steal a book from one of your friends, like my homies steal from me all the time. <laughs> but just grab something and read it, sit down with it, and realize how quickly you're able to become something you believe you're not. And you're also wearing a, a, the publisher hat too, right? With Bronzeville. Yeah. yeah. How's, how's, what's the difference in hopping between those two worlds as a publisher and the writer? Oh, well, you know what? I'm not by myself, right? So, um, I'm not, I'm not self-published so much as that I'm the founder and owner of a publishing house, mm -hmm. but I spend a whole lot of money on professionals and sign contracts with their firms that say what I can and can't expect from them. So I founded a publishing house. I funded it until I found financial partners that helped me shoulder the rest of the load. And then once I found those financial partners, I used that money to hire Davis Wright Tremaine, which has provided me all sorts of incubation services that are above and beyond the antitrust law that they helped me cover in my other life. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I got K publicity on board. And when you hire K publicity and, and you pay K publicity what they worth, my man, you get a staff of eight. And somebody kicking you in the pants to make certain you make your podcast interviews on time. <laughs> right. And so uh, I've also got my dear friend from way back in the day, Reginald Pulliam from Pulliam Design doing all my covers and interiors right now. And uh, if you know how it works at the crib, man, uh, Reggie's my older brother, Rom's best friend. So if Reggie ain't happy with me, I got to hear about it from my brother. And I don't like my brother yelling at me, quite frankly. So, and then most importantly, uh, I have trade associations that I'm working with, right? So uh, we are with Kaliba, with is the, which is the California Association for Libraries and uh, blah, 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 the independent booksellers, whatever. Just the Cali bookstores is what, you know, the, the, Cali, the Cali Union, right? And so they have standards and practices that we're slipping in line with, right? So what I found from in my previous life, I'm a professional services consultant, right? Sometimes it's just like if your business is broken at 11 o'clock and you've got a SEC filing at midnight and you got to fix these, 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 these things before somebody says, uh -uh, no deal, I might get a phone call. And so, you know, my dad was a firefighter. My grandfather was a firefighter. I am an emergency consultant. So I guess, and some of these buildings are burning, boy. I tell you, when I get to them, some of these places are on fire. And uh, so I know how to do stuff. Uh, and I know how to deal with warehousing and shipping and the supply chain and, you know, what the difference between a, a less than load freight cost and a FedEx cost is, right? I just, you know, I was taught not to brag. And I was taught if you're a quality professional, then you allow it to be, to come from you as, as it exudes from your work. And so I was hoping that nobody would even know I was the publisher. And I tried to hire like three different people to be the publisher. I just wanted to squeeze my book out to get the processes right. Because I don't want to experiment on someone else's book. But then, boom, man, once we got all the wrinkles out of the process, now we can really start publishing. And I got to tell you, I've got a staff of 13, including me, and I'm burning up my grandkids' inheritance on the place. I am certainly not doing it by myself by any stretch of the imagination. And it seems that everybody's just loving what I'm doing and everybody sees value and a need for it. And I mean, I got to tell you, man, for me to be rocking this whole black owned, black first, black led thing, 
And for me to title my books like a Negro and an Ofe and Ace Boone Coon, like, you know, it's, you know, these aren't, you know, these aren't, uh, you know, these aren't, uh, these aren't for general audiences, maybe, right? <laughs> but, but people are just opening doors for me, man. It's books, I think, because they're yeah. noble. Yeah. They're noble. Yeah, and like the crime fiction, I mean, yeah, like the the story is yeah. there. You can you can get yeah. the message out, but the story is yeah. there and it's enjoyable. Yeah, yeah that's, that's Crime the touches us all. Yeah. Crime touches us all. That's the one thing in America that we can all attest to. Yeah. We all know what crime is and we all know how it hurts. It is yeah. the great equalizer of every one of us. Either you are, either you experiencing crime or you a criminal committing crime. That's the that's the bottom line, you know. I mean, and that seems to be true all the way to the TOP, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So we all need crime fiction more than ever. And I think that Crime hasn't looked like Al Capone in a long time. Crime looks black and white to me. And that is going to be an interesting unpacking of this next generation about how we did each other in in this country when we should have been helping each other. Mm -hmm. So let's just have at it. Let's just get the genre fiction popping. Let's instruct a new world how to act so we don't act like the old one by making the old one look bad. I say. Yeah, maybe finally we'll start learning from the mistakes, right? <laughs> I mean, past. listen, someone is someone is learning from your mistakes and my mistakes. I mean, it's getting harder for me to miss a credit card payment and not ruin my <laughs> life, right? It's getting yeah. harder for me to get a, a disease and, and my insurance company not find out about it. Oh, my goodness. If I get into a little fender bender, man, you can try to financially ruin me by raising my rates. Mm. And I got to live out of my Uber. Right. So they seem to be getting smarter at figuring out the squeeze more out of me and you. Seems to me we need to get smarter about how they do the squeezing so we can push back. Guys, collectively, like we just ain't having it. Get out of my pocket, bro. Like mm-hmm. just I see you. I see you trying to break in my house. Get out. I'm looking at you breaking into my car, you jackass. Get out of my pocket. Like that's how the politicians should feel. Like mm-hmm. like a proximity light in your front yard and Mitch McConnell comes by, he should be scurrying away like the rest of the rats, bro. And <laughs> I, I just and I don't mean that to say anything, but you got good Republicans, like you got good policemen, mm-hmm. like you got good publishers, but yet we still got racism in publishing, we still got black folks dying every day, and we still got corruption in politics. So it ain't up to us to be sorting out for you who the good ones from the bad ones are in your neighborhood. Just know you got some bad ones and your neighborhood keeps ruining my neighborhood. And that's all I try to say with my work. That's all I'm trying to say with Bronzeville. They put me in the publishing ghetto as a black author. And I said, well, okay, I'll just scrub this up. Thanks. Mm -hmm. They gave me some space. It was the ghetto of publishing. But, you know, I come from the ghetto of Chicago, man. I'm from Inglewood with an E, not an I. So I know how to deal with the ghetto. And I'm going to tell you now, I like the ghetto. The ghetto is beautiful. And Bronzeville is my little slice of the publishing ghetto. And it's starting to get real dope around here. So I just, you know, it's up to me to let y'all know how beautiful black folks are. And it's up to me to let y'all know how talented we are. And it's up to me to let y'all know how valuable we are to your ideas about yourselves if you're not black and you know if 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 i'm gonna be a highest example of of what a black person might be then this publishing house has to be the highest example of how black folks know how to take care of artists and that's it and it's taking care of me 
And I learned how to love myself creating Bronzeville. I will admit, as a black man of some traumatic experiences, I might have neglected that part. In my 40s, I learned how to develop uh, forgiveness for myself. And by the time I'm brown in my 50s, man, next year, now I know how to love myself. Now I don't love myself enough to not want to cause problems for myself. <laughs> Obviously, also I wouldn't start publishing houses. Yeah, but especially I, the publishing I, business. <laughs> yeah, man. But I realize now I love myself to create a good publishing house for my work to live in. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's good for me. It'll be good for other people, I guess. And what's next for you and for Elliot Caprice? You got more stories coming from uh, from that world? Yeah, net, book three is coming out next year. It's called Girl Friday because okay. I'm into the provocative titles. So, you know, the first one is about the balance between races. The second one is the balance between classes. <laughs> the third one is the balance between genders in Chicago in the 50s. <laughs> so uh, in this one... Um, well, Frank Fuquay's expanded family begins to show up to Chicago, and we realize who Elliot left behind in the Chicago Police Department, and he may have left his heart in her desk drawer. So, is plus, you know, everything that was happening in this Chicago in the 50s, including serial murders of white women on the South Side that Black folks was getting blamed for. So stay tuned, right? Sounds, like I, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and then... um. And then we'll be announcing soon the audiobook effort that has taken a lot of Hollywood taffy pulling to pull off the way I think the the work and the brand and the firm requires to make a statement. So uh, there'll be more news once ink is dry and I feel safe because you know, I don't want to jinx it, man. I'm from Chicago, like Jordan. <laughs> You wear the same underwear throughout the playoffs. You never change your shorts. Right? <laughs> so I'm not ready to take them draws off yet. So I can't say anything, but I, if you have me back, I will. And it'll be like a, a nice thing because oh, I do believe these audiobooks have a potential of being, you know, sort of like, uh, uh, yeah, hey, man, <laughs> we need something. Mm, yeah, audiobooks are so popular now, too. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I'm going to give it a little extra, this audiobook. And so I did a deal with Screen Actors Guild that enables me to reach out to a greater talent pool for audiobooks and to pay them according to Screen Actors Guild standards, rules, and, and rates. So it opens up doors for other folks in the genres to do audiobooks and actually get paid for them. And so uh, that's coming soon. And because they're a bigger market driver than Danny Gardner is right now, I have to let them announce it first. But <laughs> once they do, I'll be back if you'll have me back. And then, you know, we'll do a giveaway or something. I don't know. Whatever yeah. you want. But yeah, yeah, good absolutely. things are afoot. It's going to be good real soon. And um, just stay tuned. Go to the Facebook page. Go to the Instagram and bronzevillebooks.com. And uh, they're all connected. You get the one, you'll zip over to the other. Click, click, click. And we'll keep you informed. And uh, just, you know, thanks for your support. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really uh, enjoyed talking with you. And uh, yeah, well, we'll have to come back when, uh, with, with updates. You got new updates. <laughs> I promise. I, prom I promise to always be on hand, my man. All right, cool. Thanks, uh, Danny. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Meet the Thriller Author podcast. Be sure to visit thrillerauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover great thrilling reads. 
you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe, uh, rate, and give a review uh, to it, wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, podcast, be it uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you're uh, listening to this right now, I would appreciate it. And uh, please do check out my own thriller novels over at my website at alanpeterson.com. Until next time.